Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the TechBond podcast. My guest today is none other than the man and the legend, Eric Su. Eric is founder and chairman of the growth marketing agency, SingleGrain, author of the book, Leveling Up, co-host of the podcast, Marketing School, angel investor, and a creator at Leveling Up NFT, which is an NFT that trains and invests in entrepreneurs. Today, Eric and I pitch each other three ideas for how we would grow the luxury conglomerate LVMH. So LVMH is Lubitom Way Hennessy is the largest luxury brand in the world, led and founded by the second richest man in the world. This podcast, Eric and I pitch each other ideas of how we would grow the company if we had unlimited funds and resources. Today's episode is sponsored by Digital Olympus. As SEO, you know that you need a strong backlink profile to go after competitive keywords, and backlinks can make the difference between a successful and a failing SEO strategy. However, getting links is difficult and tedious and sometimes simply impossible. So you need a strong partner with a vast network and tight relationships. Digital Olympus is your trustworthy link building partner. Through the relationships that they build, Digital Olympus has access to links that are hard to get and maybe even impossible. So check out digitalolympus.net. And now please enjoy this episode with Eric Sue. Three, two, one. Eric, thanks for doing this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kev. Man, I'm pumped about this one. So today's topic is how would you grow LVMH? And to provide a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of context here. So LVMH uh, is an acronym standing for Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. So it's a conglomerate of some of the best luxury brands in the world. Eric, you know who the richest person in the world is? I thought it was, um, I thought it was Jeff Bezos or Elon, but... Uh, That's yeah. right. It's Elon Musk. Most people don't know who the second richest person in the world is, though. And that is Bernard Arnault. And this guy is a baller. I mean, first of all, net worth $170 billion, which is pretty crazy. That's not money made in tech, right? That's more than Bill Gates. It's more than Jeff Bezos. By the way, Bezos has $167 billion, so it's pretty close. Um, but more than Buffett, more than Zuckerberg. So pretty crazy dude. Um, he was born in France, uh, and this guy is super aggressive and calculated. So here's what happened. He was born in 49, came an engineer, went to college, um, and then started in the family business. And so the family business is in construction, and uh, he starts and kind of pivots the company to a much more lucrative um, area, and eventually becomes CMO and brings it to profitability, kind of you know blows it up. And so one, guy, uh, one day, uh, he flies to New York City, and he sits in a cab, and the driver recognizes his accent, his French accent. The guy, Arnaud, asked the cab driver, hey, do you know who the French president is at the time? And the cab, the cab driver is like, no, but I heard the name Christian Dior. And so that was kind of the moment when Arnaud was like, okay, like this is like luxury is huge. That's kind of the way to go. Um, and so he kind of, he, he goes back to France. He puts all of his money, like, like $60 million down to buy the parent company of Dior. So it kind of has an entry. And uh, at the time, the parent company of Dior owned like a bunch of other brands and things as well. And, and so Arnaud comes in and he strips all the non-luxury brand businesses out, basically divests, fires to people, is super aggressive and only keeps Dior and Beaumarchais, which is like a like type of a luxury um, um, supermarket chain or retail chain. And then from there on, he just like goes on a rampage. He buys all sorts of luxury brands, 
uh, and then goes on this hostile takeover of Louis Vuitton and Hennessy, which at the times were still separate companies. So this is kind of a crazy story. I'm not going to uh, dwell too long on it, but he buys brands like Marc Jacobs, uh, Givenchy, Fendi, Sephora, all the good stuff, right? And so fast forward to today, the company Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy is in like all sorts of luxury industries, clothing, cosmetics, fashion, jewelry, spirits, wines, watches, perfumes. They have 75 brands, some of which I already mentioned, and they're killing it, right? So the company today is worth $329 billion. They make $64 billion in annual revenue, which is only, means the valuation is only 5X multiple, which in my mind is not that much for such a uh, company. They make a net profit of $12 billion a year, and they have 120 global employees across, across 5,500 stores. So huge conglomerate. And here comes the reason for why we're talking about this today. So they just recently announced their Q2 earnings um, for 2022. And while most other companies are missing their expectations, LVMH actually is crushing it. So sales were up 90% year over year, right? 2021 to 2022Q2, 19% up. And 35% um, of that revenue actually comes from Asia and only 26% from the US. So Asia is growing much, much faster. Uh, in 2019, it was only 30% of total revenue. Today, it's 35% of total revenue, while the US is pretty much stagnating. And here comes the kicker, right? Because of COVID uh, and because uh, China recently uh, locked down uh, to prevent the spread of COVID, uh, now actually China, one of the biggest markets, is slowing and they're really struggling with it. And at the same time, Europe and the US are recovering from COVID and the dollar is pretty strong. So they're making a lot more money in the US. So that was a long-winded intro, but now we have kind of the, the context and, and set the stage a little bit. And Eric and I, we came together and we want to brainstorm some cool ideas of how we would grow LVMH if we were kind of responsible for growth. And this is kind of completely pie in the sky. So anything that, that you know, based on our experience, that could work is possible. Uh, and I'm, I'm done talking now because I talk quite a lot. I'm handing it over to Eric from here. So Eric, what's your first idea? Yeah. Kevin, do you, do you mind if I make it practical for people to on, on what they can learn from this, this guy? Please. So by the way, I mean, this, this 329 billion valuation on the, if you value it on a net income, it's a 27 X multiples. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's decent. It's not, um, you know, well, software multiples have come down. There's been compression. Um, but if you look at like a Elon, his whole thesis is the future. If you look at what Bezos bet on initially, it was the internet. And you look at this guy, he, he bet on luxury, right? So very focused and look at what they've, they've done over time. And th what this guy has done is he's um, gone on an acquiring, uh, acquiring spree, right? The key thing is you focus and then you work on, you continue to acquire around your thesis and it ends up working out. And that's how a lot of these companies have grown. The other thing I want to call out too, is that this guy's an engineer. Elon's also an engineer as well. Jeff Bezos, more of a finance guy, but um, they have very strong foundations. Did you want to say something, Kevin? No, absolutely on the money here. I love how you add that context. There's a lot to learn. So please go on. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in terms of how we would grow it, I mean, obviously they're, they're on acquisition spree. Um, the first thing I would say that that's actually very trendy right now is Tiffany, the luxury brand. Um, they actually just did a, they did a collaboration with CryptoPunks and CryptoPunks is an NFT. They're one of kind of the, the, the two blue chips that are out there. And basically they said, hey, you know what? We're going to do, I think, 
250 or 300 of these, um, you know, CryptoPunks that are designed to be necklaces. And they basically sold out like very quickly. Now, I think that's very smart because they've got millions and millions and millions of impressions. Sure, they got a little revenue, like, I don't know, 13 or 15 million, which, yes, that's a lot of money, but it's really nothing. It's a rounding error to, to these companies. Um, but I'm more interested from a marketing aspect on the, the hundreds of millions or billions of impressions you can get by collaborating with people, these, these large NFT brands, because you see so many people doing collaborations right now, like for whatever reason, in the last 12 months, every big company out there is down to do some type of NFT collaboration, right? So this is a chance right now to kind of take advantage of, of the hype and who knows how long the hype's going to last, but um, you know, you jump on these things and they appear. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea because there's also a lot of brand association in it. And I feel like some of these luxury brands can, they can, maybe this is just me, but they can feel a little bit like outdated and a little bit like, like traditional and classic. So uh, do you feel like there's, there's value in kind of like, like co-branding a little bit with some of these like younger or, or like more um, uh, kind of place that address younger audiences? Yeah, I think there's, there's taste. And, and to your point, like relevancy is very important, right? And so with the younger crowd, you want to, you want to stay relevant and you want to do, you want to do stuff that's cool. Um, and Tiffany's like, they're, they, they don't just collaborate with anybody. They're, um, they're upper tier. They're not, you know, they're not Celine tier when it comes to purses. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think there's, a, there's ways to do this tastefully without kind of, um, ruining your brand image. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, the whole playoff or the whole idea behind NFTs is scarcity. Uh, and I feel like luxury brands tap totally into that because their customers want to stand out. They want to have things that other people don't have. Um, cool. Th thanks for, for pitching this one. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in with my first idea. So, uh, my first idea is about cross sales. Uh, and so right now the experience when you buy a tag Heuer watch or, or, or something else, right. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty isolated and pretty focused on the brand, which is not always a bad thing. But if I had to substantially grow revenue for LVMH, I'd be curious, how can I keep customers more in the ecosystem of products of their company and minimize the risk of them buying from another brand, right? So in the, the pine in the sky idea is like you could literally uh, sell Tag Heuer watches in Dior stores and serve Moet Champagne while customers are buying. The challenge with that is that you can... You don't want to dilute the, the 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 brand too much, right? You don't want to make it seem like it's a it's a supermarket, because uh, these these luxury brand stores are like super. They're, they're very kind of it's like a very high class premium experience. But that kind of concept exists everywhere else, right? It exists in e-commerce where you have related products or these customer also bought kind of modules um, on the product pages, um, and uh, you can kind of bundle products sometimes with uh, complete the look. I think it's um, Adidas that does that pretty well on their uh, product pages. So what you do instead of doing it in the store is you do it online, right? You, you can do this via email, where if you have customer email data and you're able to kind of um, track what they buy, you then develop kind of a, an attribution system that helps you send them offers of products that are complementary to what they bought, right? You can also do it, number two, uh, on the online store itself, right? On the... Um, um, the, the online experience on the surfaces, you can maybe show related products or complete the look products from other brands, right? So you go to lubitana.com uh, and you might see um, Tiffany, you know, rings to complete the look or something like that, or Tiffany watches, right? Um, and you want to drive more signups for a logged in experience online. The positive or the benefit of a logged in experience 
is that you can much better track customers as they move through your web ecosystem, right? If they, as they move through your websites and, 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 and track kind of what they do. Uh, but the question is, how do you drive lock-ins, right? And so I have, I have three ideas. One is you want to incentivize people to, to sign up for the, for the lock-in experience by letting them save ownership certificates, right? Ownership certificates, kind of like, like uh, receipts, huge problem pain in the butt because you buy these super expensive watches or, or, or bags, uh, but you can easily lose a paper receipt, right? And so this like one incentive is you, just, you can just store your receipt of ownership in the locked-in experience on, say, LouisVuitton.com uh, or Dior.com. Uh, number two is you send them exclusive invites to in-store events, right? So uh, the company has 5,500 stores, and um, they, they close probably at a certain time in most, company, uh, in most countries. And I wonder, can you do like the monthly kind of cocktail hour, right? Um, um, to just uh, invite like a, a small group of people. And again, like you can serve the Moet Champagne and, and you know, maybe uh, give people samples of the Dior perfumes or whatever. Uh, and so they only get that when they sign up for the website or for the email newsletter. And um, last, you, so you have a lot of uh, collectors who buy these luxury items and you can provide them a service to track the value of their products over time in the locked-in experience. And they can only get that if they, um, if they provide a locked-in. All these things help you collect more data about your customers um, and then eventually upsell them or cross-sell them more effectively. I love it. I, I think, uh, you know, first party data, right? You have to own your data. Um, you know, third party data is becoming more difficult. So, um, yeah, I think this is really smart. Thanks, man. Awesome. Cool. Round two, uh, Eric, what you got? Going on the NFT, uh, building on kind of the NFT piece. So, um, there are some luxury watches out there that are basically, if you have a luxury watch that's worth a couple hundred grand, you you probably want to insure it. And so the insurers are actually asking for these luxury watch brands to, to verify, to, to add an NFT to it. So you can verify kind of the ownership, right? So, you know, adding NFT verification for all luxury products, plus adding an insurance policy on top of it. Um, so that's that insurance revenue is basically all float at the end of the day. Think of it like Starbucks, right? Starbucks has all these people that pay for these gift cards. I mean, that that's float. That's money that they have. And, you know, a lot of these customers won't even use the money for a very long time. I think Starbucks can use the money immediately. So I, I do believe they can drive a couple hundred million, if, if not, uh, you know, a couple of, of billies um, of, you know, using these insurance policies and kind of um, adding NFT verification for these luxury products. Plus, um, you have the scarcity aspect, right? You know, people people want status comes from from scarcity, right? And so you can do that with digital stuff now. So why would you not have, a, have an NFT that's tied to the the like the insurance, um, you know, product? So um, I think that's going to help grow. That's going to get more awareness, and I think that also gets a lot of PR eyeballs as well. I love that. I love it because it's like is a secondary service or like an add on, and, and customers have and want to do that anyway, right? Like the the worst thing that happen is probably you, know, you buy a watch for for a lot of money and it, it breaks or um, it splinters or, or whatever, right? Or you lose it even or something. So you want to have insurance against that. Do you think it would make sense for LVMH to tap into the insurance business themselves? Or do you think it makes more sense for them to collaborate with uh, existing insurances? I, I think you could start off by collaborating. Eventually you realize how much uh, margin you're giving. I mean, mm -hmm. You can decide to build it yourself. That's probably one of those crawl, walk, run scenarios. I love that. Do you, do you have any, are you a watch collector? No, I, I actually don't like wearing anything. So. <laughs> Next two of us. <laughs> love it. Love the insurance. Love the, the NFT play here um, as, well, as well. 
Um, so um, in terms of like NFT verification, so you kind of, what's interesting about this is also that when you sell that product and somebody, maybe somebody else, and that somebody else also gets insurance, that, that would then be stored on the blockchain as well, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of like a like a trace or like a like a ledger. Of yeah, it's, it's a ledger. It's an open ledger. Yeah, yeah. And imagine this: like, uh, like you probably maybe some people that are very status driven wants to show what they want to show on the ledger all the luxury things that they own, right? That's probably going to paint a target on people's backs. But like, some people are just going to do that. So I love that because um, not only that, but it, it might also matter who sells the product, right? Like, if you know and you can prove that, say, Elon Musk had worn that watch and he sells yeah. it. Right, like that. It's on the blockchain, yeah. And you you have an Elon Musk watch, which then it goes up in value. That's a great point. I love that, man. Yeah, super smart, cool. Kind of kind of taps into my second uh, idea, which is refurbished products. So, I have a lot of times. So the basic idea is that customers buy products. Of course, applies to fashion. It doesn't apply to spirits or wines or perfumes, but uh, reusable products. Customers buy those, and um, not everybody's a collector, and and not everybody wants to. To, to keep wearing these products all the time. There's a seasonality component. And so um, LVMH could literally buy those products back, of course, for a lower amount, and then refurbish them, basically polish them, uh, prop them up, and then sell them again. Kind of like a trade in your old one for a new one, which is already an existing concept, right? You have that in, in the car industry uh, and a couple of, of other industry. And matter of fact, this is already done by some companies out there. There's a company called Reback that does that. Um, I think Poshmark also sells some secondary um, hand uh, bags and stuff. So uh, I think LVMH should tap into the market and, and grab that piece of the value chain. And they could literally buy or build, better said, um, an online marketplace where they sell uh, secondary um, kind of fashion. And so again, this already exists in like the car industry and other things. It's a kind of decent strategy for the recession. I'm saying decent because luxury goods are not as sensitive to the recession as, as other uh, product um, segments. But, you know, that might still, be, um, it might still be attractive for some people who have a decent amount of money but have to household a bit more so you can sell the product for cheaper. But you kind of increase the, cost, the, the product lifetime value significantly because you can make a margin on it a second time. And you keep customers in the ecosystem. If they come back to you and, 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 uh, and, and kind of uh, return or resell um, the product that they bought from you, you kind of keep them engaged, you kind of keep them um, with you, and you can keep collecting data about their preferences and what they do. Plus, you might even make them a deal on a new product, resell to the same customers and grab a bit of market share, or sorry, a bit of uh, margin. Uh, and this happens also on eBay right now. So it increases product value, um, decreases the barrier to buy it as well, because some people might think to themselves, this is a lot of money that I'm spending. But if they know that they can like sell it back to the company that might, might tip them over or might move them to, to buy, there's also um, quite a lot of search traffic for this. So people search for refurbished handbags for certain brands like refurbished Louis Vuitton handbag uh, or Marc Jacobs handbag. Um, and so you can build this online marketplace and then literally um, grab more uh, more kind of value from customers and make them happy at this. So I'm, I'm actually going to disagree with you here, Kevin, on, the, on this one. Please. Uh, the, the reason is because, you know, when you're, when you're a premium brand, you 
our premium, like there's that status symbol, right? Um, and so you, you don't necessarily want to go lower tier. Um, and I hate saying the word lower tier, but like, you don't want to like cheapen the, the value of what you have. You want it to be a premium, right? That's like when you have like a, um, let's use Mercedes as an example versus like a Toyota. I think while this would probably drive more revenue, like I, I would agree with you there, I do believe it cheapens the brand, which I think net net, like they probably don't want to do that. It's a great push. And I love that, that you push back a little bit because these are like, like pie in the sky type of ideas. And there's probably good reasons for maybe why maybe the company hasn't done that already yet. Uh, so, so yeah, maybe there's, maybe there's like a, a different play uh, to this whole idea. Maybe reselling is, is, uh, is, is, or like a secondary marketplace is not the best idea, but maybe there's like a kind of trade in your old bag for a new one. And then maybe, you know, maybe there's something you can do. Cause I think you can also trade in your Mercedes for a new one. Uh, the company will buy your car back, but I do understand that with fashion, it might be, might be a different story. And also, uh, you know, like things that people wore, that's a different story than a car, right? Like it has just a different feel to it. Cool. Thanks, man. Uh, round number three, um, what's your third idea? Yeah. My third one is because the guy is so used to doing M and a, we'll just call this attention M and a, so where can you go acquire the attention? So let's say from an SEO standpoint, like are there other websites with strong domain authority, strong <clears throat> traffic and strong, um, maybe they've got nice email lists as well. Can you go out there and buy the attention or can you go out there and buy other TikToks, um, other YouTube channels out there? Um, and maybe just continue to employ those people, put them on on, on payroll. Um, because a lot of people that are really good with TikToks, I was just having a conversation today with someone that got uh, 22 million views on his shorts in the last month or so. Um, Take like for the 22 million views in a month, you know what he's going to get paid, Kevin? 22 million views. How, how much is going to get paid a month by TikTok itself? Or is there a sponsor? By, sorry, by YouTube, by YouTube. YouTube. Okay. So revenue share, do, 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 quick math. Let me guess a million a month. $10,000. So the reason why it's $10,000 is because YouTube doesn't have uh, they actually don't integrate with the um, YouTube kind of, we'll just call it uh, YouTube monetization right now. You, you think about the incentives out there. YouTube wants to compete with TikTok, so they're doing everything to push shorts right now. Um, and so th the whole thinking here is like there are people here that they're really good at shorts or like reels or whatever, but they just don't, they aren't making a lot of money. So if you can come in as Louis Vuitton, instead of offering 10,000 or whatever, maybe you offer them like, you know, 15, 20 K a month and you get to work at, at Louis Vuitton for a year. Maybe we'll give you discounts on bags. I, I don't know what I'm glad with, with this kind of iOS 14 update is that it's made, it's making marketing hard again and it's forcing creativity. Um, but if you think about buying versus building, if you can somehow buy this attention, then why would you not do that? Because attention is the name of the game. I think it's super smart. Uh, just for reference for the audience, so um, so iOS 14 update introduced ATT, which is Apple Tracking Transparency, which basically, long story short, makes it much, much harder to provide accurate attribution and tracking for a lot of the big social companies like, like Meta or Snapchat. It's much harder to target specific users um, since you don't know their, if, whether they convert or not. So you're kind of missing a feedback signal and, and that has kind of diluted targeting quite a lot. And, um, Eric, I think that's, that's kind of what you're alluding to is like, you have to be a bit more creative again. You have to maybe even tap into like classic marketing principles again of like getting that attention. Um, and I love the idea with TikTok. And I, I actually know some companies that are building their own incubator of, of TikTok accounts because the attention that these creators get is so massive. 
Uh, and so my, I'll, I'll tell you one more thing. Yeah. Like, so, so Kevin, my, my, one of my buddies, he, he has a holding company and he's just decided to build publications, right? So he's hiring an army of, of, of writers and he's hired people that have worked at publications. And, um, he, he's actually bought some dot orgs, right? Where you, you could even trace it back to him. And, um, you know, the, the name of the game is, is attention. So, so Bill Gates said in the nineties that every company is going to become a media company. I think it's happening slowly. But um, that that's the move. It's it's the easy mode of of Facebook and Google ads. Just only is you know I think that's um, you know fast going away. I love that, and it's also super authentic, right? Like uh, it, I did like a little bit of research before recording this podcast, and I I looked for LVMH on YouTube, um, and the first couple of com- uh, videos were from the company itself, which is awesome. But I wanted to hear a third party. I wanted to hear someone else talk about the company hiring some TikTokers or buying their accounts or something like that would go a long way. Uh, my question back to you is how would you, what kind of content would you ask them to create as a brand? You know, it, it's the, 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 the tough thing here is it has to be on brand because we're talking premium stuff. Um, so I'm trying to, okay, let's use it. Okay. This is funny. So maybe those of you that have seen crazy rich Asians on, on Netflix. So all they do is they talk about Chanel. They talk about like all these brands out there. So I think it's kind of funny because it is on brand for them. Like it's, um, you know, promoting this to an Asian audience, like a, like, you know, people like to see people like themselves. They like to see funny stuff too. Um, so I, I think there's probably an angle there to collab with like a uh, Kim Lee, who's like the, one of the DJs from the show. Right. And like, maybe she can do some, maybe it's just some, some funny stuff that she's doing um, that it, it can't come off too scripted. Right. And to your point, like it, you talk about being authentic. So it, it could be like, maybe he, they, they work on a, a deal with Netflix or whatever, and they just take, you know, certain clips and they make shorts out of them. I don't know. Right. Like I'm not the, the creative one for this, but that's just an idea. Yeah. It's, it's a really good idea. And I could, I could even see like sending some of these create uh, creators to some events without like, you know, as you mentioned, like without, you know, making it too, um, too scripted, but just like, like just sending them over and have like share some, some of the content, maybe even talk to, um, some of the designers. So maybe it would be interesting to, to not only have kind of the classic type of brand ambassadors to as TikTok creators, but also maybe, you know, some specialists kind of in the industry who, who talk a little bit about, uh, you know, about the design and about the creation process, because one topic that's super top of mind when it comes to fashion and Gen Z is sustainability. Uh, so especially when we talk about TikTok and, and who's on TikTok and what they care about, Sustainability is definitely one aspect, and I, I'm not sure that the luxury fashion industry has the best image when it comes to sustainability. Um, I know, I know, I know, it's like a, like a big talking point. So I, I can I can see like a lot of really cool plays there. Yeah, I I I, I think they might need to pay attention to, but I, I just don't think they care at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see in due, in due time. Kind of like a like such a missed opportunity, and I'm saying that because uh, Shein or Shein might butcher the name. Uh, valued at $100 billion coming out of China, fast fashion retailer. Um, and a lot of their growth was through TikTok um, by sending these like um, bags of fashion to influencers on TikTok, which sometimes are just like normal people that don't have a large following for the authenticity uh, bonus and literally building a huge audience through TikTok. Um, and I think that has also rebounded a little bit. I think there was some criticism of sustainability, so it can go... It can go two ways, but you literally see, you actually see a company that is valued at a, at a high price point that built most of their growth on TikTok. It's insane. They, their organic traffic is pretty much nil except for their brand because they didn't even optimize their store for SEO because they don't care. Makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's um, we'll see where this all goes. I think the incubator idea is really smart too. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a holding company of, of these, like a lot of stuff just ends up going to holding companies, but maybe that's, that's for another episode. <laughs> for sure. It's a holding company episode. Uh, cool. To, to like round this up. Um, so my, my third idea was, um, a little bit in your corner, um, Eric. So I thought about Louis Vuitton should think about skins for games. Uh, and it could be games like Fortnite, for example, that is known for having like seasonal skins and, and specific skins. Um, and the reason I think that might be a good idea is because, first of all, you address the younger generations, right? It's like Gen Z, they, they care about that type of stuff. They're, they're, they're playing a lot of Fortnite, not exclusively them, but, you know, they're very, very represented there. This principal idea of starting audiences young and building brand awareness early is actually not new. Uh, car companies, in fact, have been doing that for decades where you can buy little toy cars from Mercedes or from Ferrari. And the whole idea is to, to, to get the brand into people's heads as quickly as possible, as crazy as it sounds. Uh, so you could think about you know, selling game skins um, as a luxury brand, and you can maybe even bundle that with kids' products. Now, the, the market for luxury kids' products is probably not crazy, but the thing is that these skins will get a lot of attention, right? So imagine you're like, you're like 16 years old, you're playing Fortnite, and you have like this unique Louis Vuitton uh, skin that you only get when you buy, you know, like, I don't know, Louis Vuitton t-shirt or something along these lines. And a challenge as LVMH is to actually find, to actually partner with the game platforms, to partner with the Roblox or with the, with the Fortnites um, to get these skins online, right? And to have them, have them be exclusive. And so the question then is what's in it for the game companies? And I think it's interesting because, um, What's in them is that they can better um, identify their, their, their richest users, so to say, their richest players, right? So they, if they know who bought or who got that, that unique, exclusive Louis Vuitton skin, um, they meant, there might also be an opportunity to say, hey, maybe you want to buy some other skins because we know you, you're loaded, right? We know you have a lot of money, uh, or maybe your parents do. So that's kind of why, why gaming platforms want to collaborate with LV, uh, LVMH. And to your point, Eric, you can, you can even make these skins nfts to to really guarantee that it's um it's unique and, and not not a copy um you know not somebody building their own skin um and the fine thing about this idea is you can make skins seasonal because fashion is seasonable as well right and if you have a new pattern for the this winter collection uh maybe that pattern can be an nft that can be a skin in a game that maybe only 10 people have right or maybe even better, every skin is absolutely unique, uh, and I'm sure there, there are ways for uh, for Louis Vuitton to to kind of facilitate facilitate that with some sort of machine learning algorithm or so. Uh, and then you're kind of the only player with that skin, and that I think is very attractive for the players. Uh, I think it's it's introducing a new audience to LVMH. It's interesting for the gaming companies, um, and uh, there's like a, a cool kind of tech play that that this company can ride. Yeah, my um. I think my my take on this one, I, I like the direction that you're going in. I I think the coming from a gaming background, I, there's okay. Let, let's use Formula One as an example. We we both know that that's like premium, right? Like that's when you see like Rolex always sponsoring it, the, the biggest oil companies in the world, Aramco sponsoring it, right? And then I I do believe you see like luxury brands sponsoring too. So it would just have to be something that's luxury. Like could it be like a Fortnite championship or something like that, where there's like some type of prestige that's tied into with it. As long as there's some prestige, then I think it works. But I think if it's it's too it's made too available, to your point, it probably does it it cheapens the brand right because you and I have both seen in public when when people have like um you know 
uh, fake Louis Vuitton bags and things like that. Like there's, it's, it's like different demographics. So, um, so, so yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a good point. You probably also need to invest in some sort of a brand campaign so that everybody knows what these skins mean. Because if it's just the players, right, in the small audience and everybody else doesn't care. And the point about luxury, um, besides just the quality of the product, is that everybody else can recognize what, what you have, right? They can recognize, oh, this watch is actually $100,000 compared to maybe my, you know, $100 watch. Or they see the, the, the design of the handbag and they know it's a, it's a certain brand. So if you want to go down the, you know, to, to kind of add to, to your point, to my point, if you want to go down the skins game or the nft game you at the same time to create some sort of awareness that this is this is something really cool right because otherwise people just won't know what this is and won't care and then there's no incentive for people to use it speaking of gaming i mean you you literally wrote a book about kind of like looking at your life as a game uh as as like uh leveling up what was the experience of, of writing a book like uh for you what was the reception would you do it again and kind of how happy are you with the result yeah. Um, so leveling up the book, it's more of like an introduction to personal growth, uh, specifically for gamers, because I played a lot of games growing up. And um, I believe we sold about 10,000 copies or so. But the way I look at it is it's it's a long it's a long play. Um, so 10,000 is already pretty good. But like it's I, I didn't I didn't push all my audiences against it because I like usually when you market a book, it's you're, you're trying to blitz. Um, you're trying to use up all your favors and use up all your audiences. That wasn't what I was trying to do. Leveling up to me is just a philosophy, right? It, it's basically like, um, you know, how do you gamify life? And then for me, I, my, my own mission is, uh, you know, with leveling up heroes, which is the, the project that we're, we're dropping. It's to train and invest into the next generation of founders, all that kind of like, there's like stacking, right? Like first you stack habits, then you stack like your skills, then you stack, you stack other kind of, um, skills on top. And eventually you just become a well-rounded person where you're probably, investing or you're probably you, you you are you're owning assets or like you you you're building an asset um like a cash flowing asset right so that's the game that's that's the way the game is the world is set up right now and uh, i just want to help more people play it i love that i, I admire that very much um because like, like giving back and, and kind of helping others make it to the next level of the game is super important what what kind of skills are you looking for in new founders like what are what are some of the the, the green flags that you keep an eye out for so Right now, for example, there um, there are like a handful of agencies uh, I'm talking with right now. So usually the range is anywhere from let's call it one to to five million or so in in revenue. Um, so they have to have done something already, right? They have to have like you know beaten some levels. At that point, then what we would do is we would um, you know do an investment, take a minority share in the business, and then um, you know our goal would be to triple the revenue, or else we we'd uh, give the equity back in, in X amount of time. That that's on the services side, but then in terms of how I invest um, from like an early stage investor standpoint, um, I'm looking for things that have a large total addressable market. So I invested in a company called Eight Sleep. Um, and you know, they have like sleep technology, right? Everyone needs to sleep better stuff like that. Obviously the founders that have a proven track record and people, you know, that where I'm, I'm basically cause angel investing is you're basically, you're kind of gambling and you're betting on the founders. Um, so th that's what it is. I think, um, and ultimately if I were to narrow it down, you know, this guy over here, uh, Warren Buffett says three things that matter when you are looking to work with someone, it's intelligence, it's integrity, and it's energy. Or put differently, it's people that are humble, hungry, and smart. Those are just a couple of things, but we have like an entire checklist. Love that. Um, and also curious, you're yourself a seasoned and accomplished founder and entrepreneur. Um, what do you think helped you kind of, quote unquote, you know, see, see life as a game? Like, how did you... 
how did you figure that out? And what do you think made you successful in that? You know, I, there, it's, it's, it's weird, but like, you know, when I wake up in the morning, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have like, this, this is like really, I've actually never talked about this on a podcast before. It's really nerdy, but, um, you know, I don't know if you played, have you played Starcraft before? Yes, I have a lot. Yeah. So when you, when you're building the photon cannon, um, there's like power up sound when you're, when, while it's building, while it's warping in sometimes when I, like maybe my mid twenties or so, like when I wake up in the morning, like I'm powering up, I'll be thinking about that sound. I don't know. I just apply everything back. Cause a lot of, a lot of who we are, forget about gaming for a second, all comes from our childhood. Right. So like, like your experiences with your, your parents, um, your experiences with um, whether you played sports or whether you played games. So that is the foundation of who we are. And I would say 99% of us don't go back and, and, and figure out like how we're actually wound up. And maybe there's some things that we need to unwind. But anyway, that that's how it all led into me thinking, oh, like everything I'm doing actually ties in with the game, like how I behave, like how I think about like the my my specific routine in the morning and i'm not saying everyone needs a routine like not having a routine is also a routine but i just like stacking all these things that that, that, that to me is like you're, you're getting a lot of buffs so what was your favorite uh starcraft race what do you play Terran. yeah i actually still watch starcraft to uh replays right now sometimes when i eat lunch <laughs> yeah it's fascinating i mean what, what what kids are doing these days um i sound like an old man but it's like what pros are doing is just incredible uh, I'm I'm still a, a big fan of Zerk, but uh, you know, on a, on a mm. more yeah, so you like Cyril? Yeah, yes, you bet. Uh, but yeah, on, on a more serious note, um, it makes perfect sense, and it's it's kind of like I actually think that a lot of successful founders and people in the business have been early gamers and were playing a lot of computer games. I listened to a podcast recently. I don't know which one it was, but they they made a very similar point where they said if you know if you if you achieved a certain uh, rank in a certain computer game, that that shows that you have grit and you kind of you can obsess over things and you can go after things. So actually, really good computer gamers might be good founders. Not always. I don't say there's like a causation here. It's not that you get a better founder because you play computer games. But I think it's like one of these things that can show up, up early in life where you maybe achieve a certain goal or accomplish something that then also reflects in entrepreneurship. It goes back to your point, right? Like it's really about working with someone that's been there, done that, right? Someone that's okay. If they've, when I talk to someone's like, oh, like, have you started something? Like, what have you actually started before? Right? So, oh, well, my, my most impressive accomplishment is I won this championship. Well, tell me how you got there. Or like, I started this business. Well, tell me what happened there. Like, tell me how you got there. Um, so you're looking for people that um, have a knack for powering through things. But usually that, that what that means is like someone that's done some, something impressive. Like they've had to go through all those trials. Love it. Love it. Hey, I think it's a great way to, to wrap up here. Uh, thanks for the great ideas. Love it. Let's see if LVMH actually uh, uses some of these um, uh, or not. But either way, it was a ton of fun uh, brainstorming here with you. Uh, Eric, where can people find and follow you? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Eric OSIU or on Instagram. Uh, either of those work. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being on. Three, two, one.